0: I'm not here to poke holes and suspended disbelief.
1: Anyway, they see some weird shit, they decide to make a baby.
0: Thou working merchant. Who gives a fuck? Well, you know, uh, I really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice, and uh, it's not as cold as back home and the soil is a lot better. So, yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle.
1: If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier.
0: Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, he was probably <laughs> a really
1: good at groove on it. <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. And he a thrill intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up and wipe their butts, some people stay seated to wipe their butts. Like it just
0: Is Ed Leilock. I am a uh, history and English teacher at the middle school level here in Northern California. And uh, in the not too distant future, uh, like, like getting closer with every passing minute, uh, I'm actually going to be able to say I'm a homeowner uh, here very soon. Um, my my wife and I have been working very hard uh, to uh, play the uh, end stage capitalist game of uh, improving our credit scores, and uh, we we actually got pre approved for a home loan Woo-hoo! on uh, Thursday, and um, we're gonna be we're gonna be actually going and looking in earnest uh, at at houses uh, this weekend. Um, and and it's actually kind of funny. Uh, we we have we have a list of you know these are you know absolute must haves, mm-hmm. and we've been talking forever. The must haves are minimum three bedrooms, minimum two bathrooms. Like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a hard deck, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, requirement. And uh, <laughs> we we have already uh, found a, a house that may very well uh, uh, force us to to give up. Uh, one of those we found a property in in one part of town that my wife really wants to live in that only has one bathroom and she sent it to me and I was like the bathrooms thing was your deal right like and she said yeah but but I mean look at the ceilings look at like look at how much property there is on this it's amazing we can do so much I'm like you're going to be the one that'll have to share one bathroom with me and our son, who is still potty training, so like
1: it doesn't get better when okay he's older. Just so you know,
0: yeah, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. But like, if you're okay with it, then yeah, we can take a look. Mm. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, we're we're very excited, um, and I cannot wait to actually get my uh, barbecue grill installed. <laughs> Uh, cause it's sitting in storage right now, but that's a story for another time. Who are you?
1: Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and a drama teacher up here in Northern California. Um, and my son is trying out swear words. And what I mean by that is <laughs> we were rough housing.
0: I saw, this. I saw this post the other night. So this there's a good.
1: bit of a, a history to this. We were rough housing. And at one point, and he says, you bitch. And I stopped everything. I was like, what? And he immediately realized, you know, he knew it was a bad word. And uh, he immediately uh-huh. was like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm like, okay, here's the thing. You did not know the context of that word. But I need to tell you, you never, ever use that word with another person. Um, okay. It's got too much weight to it uh, if he's yeah. going to use it on yeah. a woman especially, etc. So, and he was, you know, he's pretty cool. Well, then he started using the word Badass from time to time to describe Captain Marvel or things like that. Well, that's fine. I got no problem. with Okay. That. Yeah. Um, and, even a and swear. then, uh, and then he used, um, he tried bastard once and okay. it, minimal effect for him. He didn't get the joy out of it. Um, I taught them how to play liar's dice recently and one of them called me on on my dice and and I was bluffing and I just lifted it up. I'm like, shit. And he's like, what was that? And was, it, it, it's not that he hadn't heard me say that word. I've said that word plenty. Um yeah. but it was more like why why are you swearing about that? I'm like, oh, because I got caught. It's, you know, no big deal. Okay. That night he's taking a shower. Um and the <laughs> The shampoo bottle falls and hits him on the foot and we hear the thunk, the thunk, you know, and then we hear, now my son is a redhead. He is very similar to his dad in a number of ways, including, uh, the acuity with which he feels pain. And unfortunately he's not felt enough of it enough in his life that he is also incredibly tolerant of it as I am. Um, so I have very low threshold, very high tolerance. Okay. Okay. I feel it immediately. yeah but and, but, and I understand what you're yeah. saying
0: unfortunately, but I'd I'd say that's a credit to you as a parent protecting well, him. But yes,
1: anyway, but yeah. physical pain is a reality of life. Uh, yeah. and uh, anybody who sells otherwise is is selling something selling um, something. Yeah. yeah, but uh, so he he still feels like he still cries at physical pain. He's eleven. It's fine, he gets to. yeah. um, okay. I don't chide him for that at all. I'm just like feel it, move through it. Um, and so you hear, I'm gonna back away from the mic. Ow! 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 And it's like, okay, you know, my daughter and I are sitting down there. It's like, oh man, I really must have hit him right there on the bone. And then we hear, "Shit! Shit! Shit!" And as as you know, my son is scientifically acknowledged as the sweetest human being on the planet. Such,
0: such, he is such
1: a cinnamon roll. (laughs) So to hear him saying shit while in pain and knowing that he's trying it out, it's just so goddamn cute. And my daughter and I sitting there just laughing at my son's pain, which is the worst (laughs) lesson to teach her because she's kind of, she's that person that needs to get you back if you accidentally hurt her. I'm working on that. But um, so I go up and check on him later. I'm like, "Hey, are you are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah, this just hurt and it really hurts." I'm like, "Okay, I I heard you. You, you seemed pretty upset." He's like, "Yeah, I was swearing a little." Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I, with, with that- <laughs> I I I
0: hope he does not ever outgrow that that. I do too. I do that too. innocence, for lack of a better word. I don't, I don't know how, how else to describe it. But his, yeah. you know, that wonderful matter of fact. Yeah, I was swearing.
1: Yeah, that, I
0: that like don't,
1: I, I don't, hope that don't I'm. Change, I hope know. I'm don't. like the worst potty mouth in his life. You know, like. <laughs> but okay, so without giving away my location or your location, I'm just going to yes. tell you. There's some nice uh places to live out here that satisfy your needs. Just saying out loud.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. And and the the area in which you are living is a neighborhood in which my wife really wants to move to. Sweet. Um
1: I know who to work but on.
0: There are there are there are financial issues involved. Fair fair in terms of in terms of our upper limit of what we can afford right now right so you know as a matter of fact the, the property I was just telling you about is mm-hmm. out sort of in your neck of the woods it's oh, cool. it's it's not okay. in your neighborhood but it's in your part of town
1: i'm I'm in favor already so yeah, yeah. and it so. gets you closer um because yeah, well, you know. I don't yeah. like to barbecue but I don't mind other people bar- barbecuing yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you don't like George. barbecuing, but you 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 enjoy eating barbecue. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't like. You know what yeah. we we have figured out how to cook indoors, um, and I ain't going back. So,
0: yeah. Okay, whatever.
1: <laughs> I is, re- I recognize I am in the minority on this one. I, <laughs> yeah, well, I recognize. Yeah, I mean,
0: this. producer George, you're both like solidly looking at you askance. Like, really? oh, yeah. you guys like, like buy
1: toys to make it more of a thing outdoors too, like giant giant black metal toy I'm like all right cool I'm gonna be inside with your wives
0: yeah no mine mine's a big big ceramic egg
1: yeah it's with with a grill in it already lost interest oh my god whatever yeah (laughs) sorry
0: whatever (laughs) I mean I mean you know in all seriousness you do you yeah like I I there's an emotional level on which I'm like, you fucking heretic. Like, like, right. I mean, I mean, denying and you've got the, the tools to burn me.
1: So, you know, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> denying, denying the existence of God was one thing. And I'm willing to overlook that, but like <laughs> you're, you're <producing> outdoor cooking. <laughs> like that's your line in the sand. You know, that's, that's, that's <laughs> so far past my line in the sand right there.
1: Oh, I love it. Oh, <laughs> speaking of, uh barbecues line and say i mm. don't know uh let's talk zombies some more uh because because it's only 2003 as far as my studies have gone and uh yeah, yeah. so you remember i talked about resident evil a couple episodes ago right um yeah i'm gonna keep yes. talking about it pretty much every episode because that was just an atm machine um or an atm um atm machine would be an ass to mouth machine. And that's, that's a different show. Um, So
0: different set of social issues to analyze a little bit,
1: a little bit, Uh, but at least use the word analyze. Analyze? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Anyway, moving on, you know, the The difference between, okay. Uh, But uh, in 2003, there was a movie called house of the dead that came out um, and it came out to very modest success. Um, and, and as you remember, we had just talked about human animal clone hybrids and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also cause resident evil has really kind of, I don't want to say taken the baton from the Romero movies, but it really has opened up the idea that you could be very financially viable, like blockbuster oh, yeah. viable, not just, yes, we made our money back and then some we're still a B movie, but actual, you know creating a like franchise high-end
0: high end big budget franchise yeah. tentpole kind of kind of thing yeah, yeah and partly so because re- it's re- a
1: multimedia thing it's not just the uh the movie it's the game too you know yeah that yeah. was
0: that was going to be what i what i
1: what i oh, was yeah. about to
0: bring up was yeah. house of the dead of course uh-huh is based on an arcade shooter
1: a sega game from 1996 same, yes yeah um mm-hmm.
0: that's in essentially it's it's uh, mechanically, very different from mm-hmm. Resident Evil, but it's in the same genre. It's a yes. survival horror shooter, first person, yep. kind of kind of thing. I remember playing it in the arcade. Oh wow! Um, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, partly because I just like again, the 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 genre was never one that I was that big on. Sure. Um, and just mechanically, I just didn't I didn't like the way it worked. Um, it 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 felt way too much like, um, bullet spam, and okay, yeah, I could see that. Um, and so I I never got into it, but I I know of people who were huge big fans. My buddies would you know, we'd go to the nickel arcade and they'd they'd put three bucks in -hmm, that game mm -hmm, mm -hmm. over the course of you know an hour, uh, or more, and so you know I mean yeah. Uh, and for the time, it was a pretty advanced application of of the of the software, you know. Uh, so, and then and then, what what I think, what I'm going to theorize here is mm-hmm. part of the reason House Dead's performance was as modest as it was. And this is where I'm going to start guessing: is it largely because people took it as being a retread of Resident Evil because they're the same genre. They're both video
1: game movies. I think it's more because it was so 1990s that it hurt. <laughs> okay. Okay. So if, first off, Yui Bowl is directing it. Um, and that is an acquired taste. And and maybe not an acquired taste. That is a particular taste. You either like or don't like Yui Bowl. Um, yes. That's and, a fair statement. And my friends who like zombie movies did not like Yui e. Bull. Um, okay. And also, this this movie takes place on a rave island off the coast of Seattle. <laughs> okay, wait. Back up. Yep. Yeah. I've <laughs> only gotten <laughs> one sentence into it. There's yeah, not yeah, much I, to back I, up.
0: I, I understand. But it's a complicated <laughs> sentence, and we need to break this down. Fair much like, much like I'm having to do with with my English students. Okay, we're we're gonna. So subject is here, predicate right. is here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so a rave island. Yes, off the off the coast of Seattle.
1: Right. The 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 out out in Puget Sound. The center of of like grunge. So we're gonna have a rave island out there.
0: But. And, okay. In fairness, there's so,
1: multiple musics that happen in every place. So if you had a rave in Athens, Georgia, I would think it was weird. But at the same time, sure, there's kids who like Janko. Um, yeah, and, okay, uh, yeah.
0: I, I, yeah that, that was part of what I was going to say was like, okay, yes, grunge was epicentered. Yes. In and around the Pacific Northwest. But grunge was not ravey.
1: Not at all. And and I think if you're going for a movie, you're going for a a vulgar mindset as in of the Vulgate. And so setting it off the coast of Seattle is kind of odd as a choice.
0: I think maybe, like I'm theorizing here, having lived in the Pacific Northwest, there's maybe this kind of conceptual idea that it's this eternally foggy, rainy, spooky kind of, of place. Yes, yes, this is true. And so we're trying to get something atmospheric. Yep. Yep, so okay. I I yeah, I can see that but by the same token that is that's a pretty limited kind of view of what you need to do to get
1: I think I think if you'd done a few overhead shots of LA and then a boat going to Catalina Island And then just said it was a rave island. You don't even have to film it there You could establish a much more believable rave scene where yeah. excess and going out to a goddamned island that that seems very makes
0: makes more yeah that's yeah. very Southern California like yeah. speaking as a Southern Californian yes I can totally yes. buy that yeah
1: right but instead we're I in mean, Seattle yeah, um, a, yeah so there's a boat that takes our two protagonists over to the rave island um, fun fact the captain and the first mate of the boat uh, are the captain from Das Boot and Clint Howard <laughs> I was tickled by that, not the Clint Howard so much, but the pairing with the Captain from Doss Boot. <laughs> right,
0: money, dear boy. Yes, um, like, like but I, no. I also just like that he's okay. a
1: little bit pigeonholed into it's got to be semi-naval. Like <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Clint yeah. Howard's and everything, but like this guy, yeah. now he can't get off the fucking water. Uh, so no matter how yeah. hard he tries. So we have a party of six people, right? Uh, all this on a fucking boat. Why the fuck it, do I always have to be sitting on <laughs> a fucking?
0: I, Look at all you these know, kiwis. I get sick Why, you know? <laughs> You, you understand my, my understated performances are all based around the fact that I'm taking fucking Dramamine twice <laughs> a fucking
1: day. I'm nauseous. I'm, I'm nauseous. Sick. That is why I have such dread.
0: I'm sick to my stomach and I'm fucking tired. Like, can, <laughs> please.
1: <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, during the rave of course there's a zombie attack and our party of six, <laughs> of course which is quickly whittled down and then added to again. Uh, they try to escape this, right? Um, yeah, oh well, did I mention like that do did I mention that the island off the coast of Seattle is called the Isla del Morte?
0: Right, right, because because it uh, used Pacific to be the Pacific Northwest had been uh-huh. uh, settled by the Spanish.
1: Right. Well, this island specifically had been a slaving island for Spanish Catholic priest who was banished from Spain in the 15th century for his dark experiments, <laughs> which the Catholic Church had forbidden.
0: And again, you could have done all of this off the coast of Los Angeles. It would have made and so much more would sense. Would have made so much more sense. You know. Okay. Okay. If you'd gone you know Russian
1: what? Orthodox, I could have could have stretched for this. It would have been a lot harder. But yes. No.
0: Here's the thing. This this is and and now I have a theory. Okay. I have a theory. Okay. So they wanted to film the trip out to Catalina Island. Uh-huh. They wanted an excuse to go out to Catalina Island sure. to film. And then they realized they didn't have the fucking budget to film in Southern California. They had to film in, uh, you know, uh, British Columbia, like everybody (laughs) does. And they're like, okay, whatever. It's off the coast of Seattle. Fine. Fuck it. Just go.
1: Yeah, but they could have called it somewhere. Like, I've seen Vancouver get called Boston plenty of times.
0: Oh, I've seen Vancouver get called, you know, some alien planet on Stargate SG-1. Right. Like, any number of times. The running gag when my friends and I were watching Stargate was, huh. It looks like British Columbia.
1: Yeah. You know. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing how this, the countryside of England in no way looks like Southern California. You know, it's that kind of joke. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so Uh I I think, I think the deal is the, the script got written and they ran into the, well, we can't afford to film there. (laughs) And then they were just like, okay, yeah, no, fuck it, we'll do it live, and <laughs> yeah, we'll just, I, we'll, I, you know, it's Seattle instead of LA, but everything else, why? We'll just have, leave it alone. You fuck could have called it,
1: you know. it those things, though. Like that's that's the thing. You, like this you, was deliberate you, choices, and and I'm oh, not yeah. going to be generous about choice? the choices.
0: No, now, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to be. Gen- I I think it makes it actually worse. I'm not.
1: No, I think no, you're I'm, at least begging like ignorance whereas i think no these were deliberate choices (laughs) like they didn't understand how budgets worked and i'm like no this was their choice um also that uh that priest uh during his exile he had murdered the crew and enslaved the entire island's uh, population of natives um and then he also murdered anyone who visited that place um
0: um i'm sorry was was he perchance black adam like how
1: no but funny you would mention that because he i i did of course mention in the description right where uh the priest created an immortality serum with which he injected himself allowing himself to live forever and return dead souls to life and support his cause right
0: no no you left that that part of the the equation out, which makes some of that make a little bit more sense, but I'm still gonna go with uh, succeeding in enslaving the entire population of an island.
1: Doesn't this feel like a Haiti zombie movie?
0: And then a little bit yeah and then and then killing uh-huh everybody on the crew of the ship like, okay, if you're going to actually maintain control over a population, you can't only be one dude unless you're Jim Jones. And this doesn't sound like charismatic cult leader.
1: Right. It sounds like, kind of thing. it sounds like terror driving, like, yeah. you know, father, and, Sarah and type shit.
0: Yeah. I, Yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Carry on. So there's yeah. tunnel chases, uh, chases in tunnels and out of tunnels. Uh, the priest ends up wearing somebody else's face at one point. He ends up attacking everyone. He plans to use their flesh someone decapitates him, but the corpse still continues on until someone squashes the head. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. So, and, and,
0: and by the way, I I love specifically how you say he plans on using their flesh, not their bodies.
1: Right. Their flesh.
0: Somebody, somebody like, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Mm -hmm. here that you're, you're taking the use of the word flesh from lines in the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, and also, like, you know, he's, he's going for the immortality thing. It doesn't mean your flesh is immortal, so you got to keep replacing. Look, when you have a car, you have to replace the tires from time to time. Yes. You need to replace the oil from time to time, but the engine stays okay. strong. Okay. Yeah, there's replaceable it's, it's parts.
0: Just, yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I I, just find it entertaining yeah. within, within the context of... Sorry, within the context of these kinds of movies,
1: mm-hmm.
0: writers so regularly go to using the word flesh. Yes. You know, not meat, not muscle, not
1: tissue, but not sinew. Flesh. Yes.
0: You know, because, because there's something about the in, inflection of that word mm-hmm. that is just
1: naturally. Creepy. Creepy. Yeah, and then add to that a priest. Add to that the power dynamic. Add there's a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah oh, there's a lot packed there's in
0: there. So many. So yeah, this, seven this layers on- at least. This is an onion. Yeah, nice. Thank yeah. you.
1: Dip. So, because ah, it's Mexican food. Um, yeah. So this is very much a studios or at least a late boomer's attempt at understanding youth cultures. Raves, yo.
0: <laughs> like, hello, fellow teenagers. Right. Now, it it
1: occurs to me, um, now that I've mentioned uh, kids wearing Janko jeans, uh, so for those of you who don't know what those are, um, just type in J-N-K-O in a search engine, and you'll see, um, like, here's here's the thing. Fashion is always a retread of what happened a generation before because I think, this is a a Damien Harmony special, I think that it is driven by spirit days in high schools by the girls because the moms save all their clothes because women don't vary in size nearly as much as men do from high school through parenting older teens. And so the moms save their clothes with that hopeful optimism of getting back to that shape even though they won't. And their daughters are actually going to go through their closets and raid them to find stuff for spirit days. And then they'll put their own twist on it. My proof is... That in the 90s, gals were starting to wear low rise jeans and um, hip huggers and uh, bell bottoms and yeah. midriff shirts. Yes. Um, that was one of the styles. Now, there were others. There were also the hip to ankle dresses um, with a t shirt, yeah. which was absolutely my favorite aesthetically. Um, but uh, I can see that because it just looks so comfortable like yeah Yeah. i'm just oh comfort is hot um (laughs) i've I've just always been that way um man i tell you that's a woman in a jumpsuit i'm just like oh it's got pockets um so you could fit snacks in that thing you know but uh so so and then if you if you backward from 20 years from that, you had virtually the same thing, but it was much more denim based, much more earthen yeah. tones. And, yeah, and yeah, in the 90s, yeah. it was a little different, but it was yeah. kind of the same thing. And now, um, 20 years after that, I'm seeing students doing the same thing. Like It's like
0: 30 years out. I hate to be Yeah, it's 30 to years out. You're right. You're 30 right. years after that, um, but, which just reinforces your idea that it's a generation thing.
1: Yeah, because people had <sighs> kids later. Yeah, um, and so now we're seeing that again. Now Jankos were the boys equivalent to it. Um, so there were bell bottoms, and Fucking Jankos ridiculous. were like, you know what, they were bell bottoms are not flared nearly enough. I want to look like the Emperor Palpatine toy, where the legs were just nice. these giant nice, billowy nice. things. Yeah, yeah. So
0: I wanna I wanna do something that like would pass for Hakama. Yes, if if I were if I were transported to feudal yes. Japan,
1: denim hakama look,
0: look like I'm wearing. Samurai. I want to be the mechanic like who wears hakama. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want yeah. yeah. So hakama, hakama, but make it goth. Yes, like the so fuck.
1: I love the yeah. idea of a rave happening in um like the mid south, uh, because yeah. <laughs> you could just call it you know Jankum and Janko's. <laughs> just nice thank you thank nice. you all yeah. of that together no there.
0: that is that is oh my god and so <laughs> so you said you know you know go into a search engine and look these up
1: yeah you did
0: and and schmuck bait I did <laughs> and and it brought a rush of memories back um, <laughs> oh yeah I am so glad I graduated from high school in 93 oof yeah so that I didn't have to see this.
1: Oh no! That it I was in high school. It hit big while I was in high school. Like there were, there was a small contingent of people because I went to a very white bread school. Yeah. But but it did still hit because we we had people still dressing up like cowboys, which was ridiculous.
0: Oh, well, yeah, that's that's eternal. The it, thing is that yeah. that particular subculture yeah. in our country is
1: is just that's that's a thing
0: um like everybody i talked to in the
1: suburban bay area like what what are you doing it's not halloween (laughs) what are you doing
0: yeah no it's it's a it's it's an identitarian subculture it's just a thing um i was i was i don't know how to describe it i was kind of
1: you were a square i wasn't adjacent when
0: i was a square yes i was a dork i just square has given me too much credit (laughs) but But, but, um, I, I was raised by my mother who is, you know, herself half oaky. So Mm. like there were aspects of that that I kind of carried around, but I was not, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't walk around looking like a shirt tucker. Right. Uh, through, (laughs) through all of high school. Fair. Uh, you know, but, but like, no, I, I grew up in, in the burbs of San Diego Uh and we had a couple of people like that. It was only a couple, but they were there. Um, you know, the bigger groups we had were the, were the kids that were really trying really hard to look like they were members of a Vietnamese gang.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like you know that that was that was a big aesthetic for for a number of kids mm-hmm. um and then we had a whole lot of preppy white people
1: yeah yeah so and, in 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 yeah. our preppy yeah. very very white bread school um i i must confess to my aesthetic um yeah. my aesthetic was i never asked my parents for money for clothes um and so what that meant okay. was um things would wear out and I wouldn't replace them because I'm also cheap. So I would wear shorts with um, not quite long johns, but essentially long johns, but they were okay. electric bright blue. Okay. So the shorts themselves were tan and okay. then you had these electric bright blue, I'm going to call them looses because they weren't tights okay. Okay. underneath. Um, and then whatever concert t-shirt or whatever. Um, I had a friend at the time who she was much more of a square, much more of a preppy type person. She cared about things like fashion and and all that. And we, we've been friends forever. And I asked her one day and I was like, so how come like, I I know I'm a decent person and I, I know that I'm funny and I know I've got a personality, but like very, very specific sub genre of people. Uh, were interested in me. Why weren't, like, most of your friends and, and stuff like that? And she said, Damien, did you see what you wore? Like, it was, there was no hesitation. There was no, let me think on that. It was, I mean, she. I guess she'd been ready with that card forever. She was just too polite to I pull just it.
0: just want to help you.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, well, yeah, I saw what I wore. I was comfortable and and warm, but, you know, they let in the air so I wouldn't get sweaty. It was nice. And she's like, and she just shook her head and walked away. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So, so my own my own aesthetic was um, nascent five steps grunge. above
1: mine. Five uh-huh. steps above five steps above mine. Easily. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. 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 Um, but like nascent grunge, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like like as grunge was starting to become a thing, I realized that hey, you know what? Um, a flannel shirt actually looks like feels comfortable.
1: So a gonna, young Bobby you know,
0: button it up huh? a young yeah, Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, however, however, a very big part of my aesthetic was I sort of inherited an old raincoat of my grandfather's. Oh, it was a, a houndstooth check, uh, overcoat with a black lining in mm. it. And, um, The sleeves were too long, so I went everywhere with the sleeves rolled up a couple of times. So, it was almost like I was wearing a trench coat.
1: It's like Silent Bob-like.
0: Kind of. Yeah. A little bit Silent Bob-esque. Yes. Um, And, yeah. Yeah. And and again, um, I, I I didn't have a friend who ever looked at me and said, "Did you see what you were wearing?" <laughs> but I'm but I'm pretty sure my my what it was comfortable, and I think it looks cool. Would mm-hmm. like have totally been
1: yeah, my, yeah. Own,
0: my own response to that.
1: Mine mine was much more like the um, an eight year old is designing a character on a role playing game on the Xbox. <laughs>
0: I love that analogy. It's, that's that's awesome. really what it was. <laughs>
1: that's pretty cool. It's like, let's give him blue tight legs. Okay, yeah. cool. And what color was yeah. his pants? Brown. All right. What's his shirt like? Something colorful. Looks like the nineties. All right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, in wow. two thousand three, uh, yeah. long after that, you know, I was I was much yeah, yeah. more fashionable. I was um, wearing Argyles with knickers. Um, it's amazing. I got married twice. <laughs> But uh, so in 2003, there was a zombie movie. <laughs> oh, Ed is just leaning back. So there's a, there's a zombie spy movie called Corpses Are Forever. And it was played with the same amnesia motif that we saw in Resident Evil. Uh, there's a CIA agent who specifically made an amnesiac uh, in order to make room for him to get injected memories from patient zero in order to beat the zombie plague. It turns out uh, the patient zero was Satan. Um, Oh, hey. Yeah.
0: There's a twist. Right. So, okay. A couple of things right off the bat. Okay. That is so not any way how memory works.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like at all. Yeah.
0: Like in the least little bit.
1: Yeah, but Johnny Mnemonic had been, you know, mildly popular, so.
0: Yeah, but Johnny Mnemonic at least like the the mechanism of, well, you know, you have access to this but you don't have access to, like you're carrying this thing right, but right. you can't actually. Like no, there is because it's a because it's a William Gibson story. Right. And so it's actually science fiction. Mm-hmm. There's actually like a meaningful reason why that works that way. Here th- yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm yeah. getting worked up over it because I mean, it's a fucking spy zombie movie, but well, anyway,
1: it's a post nine 11 spy zombie movie. So notice that your hero is a CIA agent, a specifically Ooh. pointed okay, out yeah. good guy CIA agent who's selflessly sacrificing his own comfort for the greater good. Um, so that was 2003,
0: 2004 oh, that's a steaming pile of bullshit. Yeah. Man. Anyway. Yeah. yeah 2004
1: on. was a pretty big year for zombie movies uh curse of the maya came out um
0: okay which was that not sounds like that has
1: yeah potential. i mean this one quite honestly is is not a good movie um a for, uh, here's let me let me you blow sound through the like
0: you've seen things well um it's not
1: it's good you know movie. okay Um, I'm going to explain the plot and then I'm going to explain why I'm having this reaction. Um, A former junkie moves to a border town in order to stay clean. They make friends with a guy who maintains windmills in the area. It's okay, okay, It's a terrible movie. But at at the time, again, remember, it's it's the Bush presidency. The U.S.-Mexico border was a bit of a hot topic. Um, especially in this new era of our being afraid of terror to the point of ruining our own economy and and that of many other countries. Um, It was so bad that it's listed as a comedy, despite the fact that it did not mean to be a comedy. Ooh. And this is the memory that it's bringing to mind.
0: Oh, man. Okay. Yeah.
1: So there was, I was in drama, uh, as were you. Uh, there was a kid who was a couple years younger than me uh, who was also in drama, and our final project was to do something, and and I didn't do a very good job of what I did, but um, I just I lacked the imagination, but he had quite the imagination, and he had done a really good job of playing a character that had some special needs, um, and so, yeah, well, it was in a, a play called The Diviners. It was a really good play. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I I don't want to say it's problematic. I just want to say that like, maybe, maybe if you don't have an actor who has special needs, maybe it's not the best thing for a high school. I don't know. It was the nineties people. This was still representation. It was, it was a different time. Yeah. 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 No, I understand. He, he could play a few colors really, really well but he got to the point where he thought he was able to do all the colors because I mean, he kind of was the central character in the play. Um, And so he made a a movie. Uh, The movie was called Scottish pride, Scottish pride. And, and remember this was 1996. So Braveheart had already just come out. And so he and his friends um, Mm. are, and, and where we live, there's a beautiful open space. So there's a lot of wonderful scenes that you can film. And he and his friends, uh, they helped him out a lot. It was it was um, a, a good ten minutes of really really bad accent work, um, wooden characters, kind of all centered around getting the scene where they're all charging at each other. And he was doing different cuts, um, and okay. and then there was combat, and it was so bad it was it was hilarious, and I thought that it was a parody. I thought that he did it to be funny. I thought that that deserved a lot of praise. And so, afterwards, we're talking about it and everybody is finding ways to compliment it, and I was just like, this is great, oh my god, I thought this was hilarious, you, it was so ridiculous, I mean, that was so, I mean, talk about commitment, man, like, that was was fantastic. Where'd you come up with the idea to make a comedy based on a parody of Braveheart? And the uncomfortable stares <sighs> oh. as everybody waited for his response. Oh, and I was genuine. God. I was genuine. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. and his response was it it wasn't a parody. And I was like I, I was mortified. Everyone was mortified but I said what they all thought.
0: Well, yeah, yes, yes. And And, so
1: I immediately apologized. I was like, oh my God, man, I am so sorry. I did not see it as that. If I see it again, if you show it to me again, I'll look at it with a different filter, but I'm sorry. I thought it was, I thought you were doing a parody to, to tell someone that their magnum opus at this point, which everybody as a sophomore is derivative as fuck. Um, to tell someone that their magnum opus Uh, is, is a laugh worthy parody. Yeah. And (laughs) this movie reminded me of that.
0: Yeah. So, so did I ever tell you the story about, uh, when, when I acted in Antigone in high school? Oh, what'd you play? Um, I, I wound up getting cast in a, in a combined role, uh, that, that wound up being the messenger. And there were there were two kind of supporting bits. One was one was the messenger, and I don't remember. It was one of them was a was soldier character. Yeah, the sentry. Yeah, who? Yeah, I think the sentry.
1: Yeah, I played the sentry. And,
0: and okay, and so our, our our director kind of meshed the two of them into the same character. Yeah. Okay. And Easily so done. I, yeah. and and so uh, we were working with a director who was. Not our normal drama teacher and director. He was one of the English teachers who had coveted the job of Mm -hmm. drama teacher for like years.
1: Oh, we have the opposite of that now.
0: No Uh, one wants it, so they
1: killed the Latin program to get it.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. No. He. He had. He had wanted to be doing drama for forever. Mm -hmm. And um, this was my senior year, and so our drama teacher was going to be moving the following year to the brand spanking new fancy high school up the road where he was not only going to have a bigger fancier theater to work with, but he had been given the boys varsity basketball coaching job that he had been coveting Mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. So, so Antigone was this other teacher's audition essentially for taking over the drama department. And he had spent a bunch of time in the drama department at San Diego State University, and so he was very big on us doing this show at, in a in a cathartic, very stylized kind of way. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna really look at how the Greeks would have done this, and we're gonna we're gonna try to try to update that a little bit, but we're still gonna be rooted in this in this very you know stylistic kind of kind of way. Sure. <clears throat> and so my moment in the show was when I'm describing to Creon mm-hmm. how how Antigone and
1: yeah how and the body is. of uh, Polynices looked after Antigone had given it its final rites.
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And and the
1: I, the I, Sophocles I, equivalent oh. of uh, Jesus ain't in the tomb anymore. Yeah, yeah, basically.
0: And, and so, you know, I had to, I had to fall to my knees and wail as I'm describing all of this and talking and, and And then Creon grabs you by the throat
1: and picks you up and threatens your life. And yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, and as I'm describing it, uh, the, the directorial, you know, trick he'd come up with was there was going to be a scrim at the back of the stage and. Uh, the, the suicides involved were going to be, uh,
1: uh, projected onto uh,
0: it, uh, projected up onto that on a, as, as a shadow play as I'm, as I'm describing it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I have this huge cathartic moment where I'm, you know, throwing myself to my knees and I'm, I'm wailing about, you know, the, the senselessness of all this and, and, you know, this, this, the horror of what happened. And I have this big moment and I leave it opening night. I leave it all on the stage. Mm hmm. And after the show, my parents were there because opening night they always were. Uh, my, my mother comes up, gives me a big hug, tells me, "You know you did great, I'm really proud of you." <laughs> and my dad, God bless him. My dad comes up and puts his you know gives me a hug and then you know kind of kind of holds me out you know kind of at arm's length, and kind of pats me on the shoulder and says, "Well, you're a comic player at heart <laughs> Uh yeah. Thanks dad.
1: yeah That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> so I I kind of know that feeling mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So, so imagine being the perpetrator of that. Well, I'm, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Only only in your case it was unwitting. In yes. my father's case it was <laughs> I love you kid, but this is not your thing. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: So, so, well, be- because the 2000s were heavily derivative, uh, yes, though, Dawn of the Dead saw a Zack Snyder remake. Um, okay.
0: yeah. Yeah. Same basic okay. plot,
1: modern twists, right? Yeah. The producers yeah, yeah. wanted to, quote, make the old fans happy and make a lot of new fans. In other words, they wanted to make a lot of money based on nostalgia, as well as growing market share of the interest in zombies. And since video games were popular, they made it similar to one. Uh, James Gunn in writing his script for it, which I mean, what a combo, right? Um, yeah. Uh, he said, quote, I think that in the end, Dawn of the Dead is about redemption because it's about a bunch of people who have lived certain lives who have maybe not been the best people. And suddenly they have everything that they've used to define themselves, their careers, their churches, their jobs, their families are stripped away they're gone. They start at nothing and they have to become who they really are in the face of all that. And some of the people are redeemed and end up becoming good people, mm-hmm. and some of them are not redeemed and they end up, you know, not redeemed. And that's what kind of drove me throughout the story was it was a story about redemption. I also think there's a lot about how people survive and what people turn into in Turn to in the face of such tragedy. The tragedy in this case being flesh-eating zombies, and it really, it's a good—it's a group coming together to work as a community who wouldn't otherwise work together. So there is that foundation of love, that basic message within even Dawn of the Dead.
0: Okay, I'm—I'm—I I feel like it needs to be said. Yes, that's about as as opposite a worldview from Romero as you can get.
1: Thank you for catching that. now you see why i had to put the whole goddamn quote in there
0: yeah like i mean understand i love james gunn yeah like i you know and and his and his his positivist sensibility Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. part of what i love about him so i mean that's awesome but like this this is gonna be quite the remake if (laughs) (laughs) if You know, yep. it's like, well, OK, we're going to we're going to take this deeply cynical uh, nihilistic uh, story about, you know, consumerism and, and how soulless it is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to turn that into a, you know, survival movie where, you know, people are stripped down to their raw essences and some of them are redeemed.
1: Well, I would point out that, again, wow. this, this was in 2004 and George Bush had told, told us all, don't worry, we're going to get revenge for the buildings Go to Disneyland, keep consuming. <laughs> okay.
0: So so that last line uh-huh. immediately made me think of they live. Yeah. Which isn't technically a zombie movie. No, but it's
1: not. That's why I didn't make the list, unfortunately. But I think I don't know if I want to do a watch along with that or if I'm just gonna use a Marxist we gotta, we, narrative well, analysis yeah, of it. About yeah. It
0: at some point. Somehow. Yeah. But yeah,
1: I mean, this, this, this is exactly Bush doctrine. Um, not the, the preemptive strike stuff, but the, there's going to be a lot of redemption. There's some shitty people. And also we're going to, um, but
0: it's all going to be okay.
1: Right. It's all going to be okay. You know, and, and we're going to literally invert the message of the, you know, of the, uh, the mall before. So, now here's my favorite part of this movie. Do you know what movie unseated is number 1 at the box office? Tell me the year again. Uh at 04. Oh. Uh,
0: I don't know. <laughs> I was trying but
1: Passion of the Christ. <laughs> They're both, they're both...
0: Okay. Now I'm going to have to take you to fucking. School. I know,
1: I know. He's a lich. I okay. know. He's I a know, lich. God. I know. He... No. Damn it.
0: No. Because zombies are mindless undead. He was a religious leader, high level cleric. Okay. He had agency. Okay, uh, not not a goddamn zombie. Also, also didn't didn't himself drink blood, although we drink his ritually. But that's a different thing. So, lich, so, lich damn, not
1: zombie.
0: Uh, so, I mean, they're both they're both redemption narratives, right?
1: Yeah, actually, they are. Like and Which, that's the thing, and they're both, you know, Jesus is gonna help us in some way, like we're gonna be saved from what's going on. like there's yeah, there is a there's, reason there's that movies there
0: yeah. yeah, they are salvation narratives based on what Gunn said anyway. This yeah, is salvation narrative.
1: well, and I I believe it because I mean, he's <sighs> the one that wrote it. You know, or did the yeah. rewrites oh, and, and oh, updated? Well, yeah. it. So that's but, what he thought.
0: We, we've also we've we've yeah. also established that authorial intent means jack shit.
1: True, but it is interesting that you have these two movies, as well as the movie The Alamo, all coming out right around the same time, and all three oh, yeah, of them. You already
0: bitched about The Alamo.
1: I did, but I ended up like we
0: we never we never wound up doing anything. The that, lost, it's that, the lost that that whole, yes. it's the lost episode. Yes, lost episode. Yeah, but, but they're all redemptions. You just got so
1: pissed. They're all redemptions. Um,
0: yeah yeah
1: and they're all yeah, blood redemptions, know. oh wow, yeah, okay, so now some some critics went after That's this, kind of fucked up, <laughs> you think um <laughs> like
0: like you know it's it's in moments like that that again, you know, looking at the pattern on the wallpaper moments' where you're <laughs> like we were all fucked up,
1: yeah, well, there was a national trauma, and the like, solution was go to Disneyland, um. And, and yeah, you know, and
0: keep buying shit.
1: Yeah. And then also Don't the terrorists the, win the president of our country called the president of France and told him that mob and mugab were in the desert and the president of France hung up. Was like, what the fuck is the guy talking about? And they're like, oh, it's an ancient biblical prophecy thing. He thinks he's bringing about crusades. Like that was all true. That, that all happened. Yeah, I know, I, so, I know, I know, I know, but so, wow. All right. There were critics who said that um, this attempt traded on the value of Romero's satire, but didn't deliver the same. Quote, with the politics of consumption now an established academic field and shopping now considered a statement of identity, uh, the, the film was unmoored from its satirical roots, thereby losing its power as such. Uh, Romero himself said, quote, it was better than I expected. I thought it was a very good action film. The first 15-20 minutes were terrific, but it sort of lost its reason for being. It was more of a video game. I'm not terrified of things running at me. It's, It's like Space Invaders. There was nothing going on underneath. Yeah. Okay. Stephen King linked it more to 9-11 than to Romero. He said, quote, By 2004, only three years downriver from 9-11, rampant consumerism was the last thing on our minds. What haunted our nightmares was the idea of suicide bombers driven by an unforgiving and unthinking, most of us believed, ideology and religious fervor. You could beat them up or burn them, but they just keep coming. The news reports assured us. They would keep on coming until either we were dead or they were. The only way to stop them was a bullet in the head, and that's exactly what the Snyder zombies are, it seems to me. Fast-moving terrorists who never quit. You can't debate with them, you can't parlay with them, and you can't even threaten their homes or their families with reprisals, end quote.
0: You know, King is a smart
1: guy. Dude, the other two, I mean Romero nailed it as well. Yeah, well, and,
0: yeah, no, I'm I'm yeah. not I'm not saying he didn't, but yeah. just the the Okay, so I'm going to take this and I'm going dis- to distill this mm-hmm. down to the actual fucking point. Here you go. Um, ironic
1: considering how long his books fucking are.
0: <laughs> some of them he, yeah. he he varies pretty widely. Like some of them are, you know, door stoppers and, you know, Yep. some of them much less so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, he just, you know, puts him out at, you Mm -hmm. know, ridiculous fucking pace.
1: And I I think, oh, go on. No, no. Oh, I I think what we're seeing here is the complete and total shift because it's a remake of a Romero film. It's a complete and total shift from the genre that it was to action zombies. I think that's what Resident Evil kicked the door open on, and I think that this one uh, very much uh, crystallizes. The whole movie had a lot more action than depth to it, and as a result, character and message depth was sacrificed. It is, after all, Zack Snyder. Um, Yes. But all in all, it was a very good zombie movie that kept the momentum going. Now, there's a reason for that. Look at its source material. Yeah. It is hard to fuck up. A Romero remake it really is yeah. they you tried to... but
0: <laughs> <laughs> they did their damnedest yes but you know yeah well when 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 the source material is you know forged from you know sheer awesome from near the earth's core it's right. really hard to, to you know fuck it up too badly
1: yeah
0: um you know and and I think I'm gonna say I think there's a virtue mm-hmm for lack of a better word, Mm -hmm. in a creator. Like if you're, if you're going to do a remake and you're going to change shit, just taking ownership of the fact that no, no, I'm going to change some shit. Yes. And committing. I I think, I think the virtue is commitment. Like whatever it is you're going to do, like fucking commit, don't half ass it. Mm -hmm. And even if you fuck it up, there's still going to be the kernel of your dedication to it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so James Gunn being James Gunn and, and just saying, okay, this is what I think we're going to do this story as, and this is how we're going to do it. And then, you know, doing it, Yeah, you know, like, like you can, you can say it's empty and it doesn't have the same intellectual power. That the original did, and you're totally 100% correct, but it's Mm -hmm. still not a bad movie. Right. Because nobody half assed it. Everybody showed up and everybody said, no, man, we're doing Mm it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you really look at every bad movie, Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way, either. Because the budget just was not there for them to commit to what they really wanted to do. Because, right. I mean, there's any number of movies you can look at and, like, this is a really great idea that did not, like, the technology didn't exist or the budget just wasn't here. And there was just no way to truly commit to this, you know? Or, you know, the scriptwriter half assed it and. You know, the only thing that saves this is that everybody doing this movie was having so much fun. They were all here for it. Yep. You know, and you can have a meh, mediocre movie that really should be a shitty one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I'm, I, yeah, I don't know where I started out trying to go with that, but just, you know, it's, it's, if, if you've got a good it source could be a, material, it could
1: be a good movie that betrays the source material, it could be yeah. a well done betrayal. Yes. Yeah. There you go. So also in 2004, Resident Evil came out. Like I said, it was a good movie, a good year for zombie movies. Yeah. You just also had the, you know, Curse of the Maya. Um, (laughs) So Resident Evil Apocalypse comes out in 2004. uh, And they are capitalizing quickly and successfully on the success of the first one. You remember the first one comes out in two. Or maybe out one. It was panned again, and again, oh, it yeah. made a ton of money. Um, this time, the whole city is quarantined uh, by the uh, military executive in the umbrella Co- corporation um, as the one bridge out of Raccoon City shows signs of human infection. And this time, the corporation releases genetically engineered soldiers in eluding the nemesis, a big ass hunter killer android to kill the scientists responsible for the outbreak. And of course they're hunting Alice too, because what what would be resident evil without Mila Jovovich? Um, The heroine from the last one who had some memory of what's happened now, she goes on a saving spree, um, which I think is a really good way to put it. Um, As the military folks on the ground are trying to find and secure locations where zombies can't get to folks. um, There's also a mad dash to a helicopter because that's becoming Uh, tropey. An ambush by Umbrella military personnel and a fight ensues. And eventually the survivors, including Alice, uh, leading them through Wonderland, get in the helicopter, kick out the Major uh, in charge of everything, who is then devoured by zombies and they're getting away. And of course, until the nuclear bomb goes off, knocking the helicopter into a crash. And once again, Alice wakes up and once again, she has to escape Umbrella. But this time it's revealed that this is also part of Umbrella's plan. Setting us up for yet another movie. Well, of course. So what I what I want to note here in this one, it's 2004. There's a lot more corporate collu- corruption being acknowledged. Uh, a lot more genetic tinkering and tampering. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot more chase action. And ultimately, it's a pretty postmodernistic look with zombies. Uh, there's a lot of questions about power, the right of that power, and the impact on morality with that power. But central and climactic to it all is the bringing back of nuclear fear, um, as well as the lengths to which a government or a corporation will go in order to cover up its own lies about its own missteps.
0: Okay, so by 04.
1: 04- yeah. Abu we
0: knew there, yeah, okay, <laughs> and we knew by that time there hadn't been WMDs.
1: No, UW, no WMDs, and that the U.S. government had known that there were none and had suppressed that information and forged ahead anyway, as though they were, yeah, and okay. that they had fed information to the New York Times and then said, "See, the New York Times had said the same thing." There's a lot of cover-up shit going on.
0: Oh yeah, and oh, all b- of it.
1: Yeah. By the time this movie hits the theaters in September. September 10th, 2004. There's one month to the election where there's one guy who's a war veteran who took a stand against the very war that he fought in after he came home. And then the other guy did mountains of cocaine, married a woman who killed someone in a car accident and avoided going to that same war by flying planes badly in Texas.
0: Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. You're, you're giving him way too much credit by saying that he flew airplanes badly in Texas. No, no. He didn't fucking show up to fly airplanes badly in Texas.
1: Not all the time. I mean, he did log some flight hours, but not many. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not saying he did his duty. He,
0: skipped, he skipped school on yeah. his fucking National Guard. Like, come on.
1: Yeah. Now, the best yeah. part was that somehow the veteran who had multiple purple hearts was the coward, and the fake cowboy who got out of the war was a war hero.
0: Well, because one of the things that the right in this country has gotten very good at doing is weaponizing perceived masculinity.
1: hmm Machismo. Yeah.
0: And John Kerry... Mm-hmm. for all of his manifest virtues in many ways does not match the traditional view of what a rugged manly man ought to look like.
1: Yeah, he has a very narrow face. I mean, that yes. in and of itself is a mark against yeah. him for well, some he
0: looks, he looks, He looks really patrician.
1: He does. Really, really, really patrician. And
0: um, despite his, like, you can look at his military record and see his proven physical courage. Yeah. Um, his, the, the way masculinity in our culture is, is expected to manifest itself Mm -hmm. is in these ways that like, if you are cultured, if you are a wine drinker, if you are like, if you speak French fluently, like all of these things count against you, for, like, masculinity if, points.
1: If you're a good statesman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know. We don't want that. I, I want know. to have a beer with him. He's not. He's got so many bodyguards you'll never get near him.
0: You'll never get anywhere near him, number one. Number yeah. two, this isn't a popularity contest. Why the fuck? Anyway.
1: Yeah. I want to have a beer with him, but we want someone who's going to actually be able to pronounce the Japanese prime minister's name. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Now, that'd my favorite nice. part about all of that is that during the entire campaign, we were in a land war in Asia and the whole campaign was about the other land war in Asia that had already been settled 40 years prior. Oh,
0: yeah. Decades before.
1: Yeah. So there was there was a new segment that appeared <sighs> in the film stating that reports of corporate wrongdoing were false and that people should thank the Umbrella Corporation. Uh, th- th- that lack of subtlety would have made Romero blush. <laughs> um, Clearly, an allegory of lying corporations like Halliburton and KBR, as well as the oh, yeah. ex- executive branch and the government at the time. Oh, and Blackwater. That comes, I think, a little bit after. I want to say that's during his second term. I could be wrong because uh, you're right because uh, the the contractors in Fallujah were were Blackwater contractors. Yeah, yeah,
0: and and I think I distinctly remember it was like in 2003 or 2004. Okay. okay. That there was that massive,
1: yeah, huge. The gunfight. I call
0: it a shootout, but it wasn't actually a shootout. It was just a bunch of I I'm convinced drunk or high, uh, Blackwater contractors firing out into the street right. because
1: you know just because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um,
0: because one of them had an accidental discharge, and all the rest of them thought somebody was shooting at them. And they just unloaded into a street and killed innocent civilians and then, you know, tried to cover the fuck
1: up. Yeah. So... Yeah, that happened. Uh, yeah. So while you've got all this existential dread shambling across the screen in 2004, um, <laughs> shambling—I
0: thought we were talking about fast zombies.
1: Well, that was that was the that was the other one. This one, you still oh, have okay. some shambling. Um, oh, okay. Zombie movies keep on coming, right? There's a Thai yeah. comedy called Sars Wars, and it was a zombie film.
0: Oh shit!
1: Yeah, it, it was 2K. Okay. Uh, honestly, like I try to keep. This to American films, but that Sars Wars is just too good. Yeah, not the to title
0: is just too good not to yeah. bring up. Yeah,
1: but then in, also in 2004 you have another slight shift in the genre. You have the first rom-com zom-com movie, Shaun of the Dead. Oh. Now it only released two weeks after Resident Evil Apocalypse, so we're seeing a saturation in the market, and yet it keeps building. Because movies and video games are beginning to coalesce and media and people consume more per genre. Um, Shaun of the Dead releases in the U.S. in September of 04. At this point, it's clear that zombies are a big deal in the U.S. It was a very loving send up of the Night of the Living Dead. Specifically, Shaun and his friend Ed are two idiots who woke up hungover (laughs) one morning. Um, yep. to find that a zombie apocalypse was already in full swing. Uh, the ne'er-do-well Sean goes around slowly acclimating to what's needed to survive a zombie apocalypse, and he collects various people from his life to try to save them. Uh, this includes his stepdad, uh, and then they head toward his mom in Winchester. Philip, his stepdad, is bitten and ends up turning, and Sean's mom is also bitten and ends up turning, and Sean has to kill them both once they've turned. And then they end up holed up in a pub with their party dwindled to two non-bitten folks, Sean and his ex-girlfriend Liz, and one bitten person, Sean's buddy, Ed. And just as things look the most bleak, the British army breaks through and Sean and Liz are saved. And you fast forward six months and Sean and Liz have reconciled. They're playing video games together. Ed is zombified, but they keep him tethered up in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, now on the surface, this sounds pretty simple and unremarkable. But in 2004, it's a pretty groundbreaking zombie film. Um, Its point of view, uh, being the two deadbeats who are dumb as uh, who are really dumb, is a new take, especially as one survives. Um, They have no particular skills or competence in a post 9-11 world. Such a take is actually refreshingly idiotic. Um, Mm -hmm. And in some ways, the film's comedic approach was a way of addressing the fears and anxieties post 9-11 for Americans with a very earnest but ultimately shrugging attitude. Uh, The fact that the main character is so self-involved that he doesn't notice a zombie apocalypse as it's happening Mm -hmm. right in front of him um, because he's nursing his own hangover and dealing with his own stupid, mostly self-inflicted problems. It kind of gives the viewer permission to be self-involved again.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I just want to point out because yeah. the, the, you're you're describing the dynamic of the of the main characters there, mm-hmm. and uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, yes. who are Sean and Ed respectively, mm-hmm. are both Gen Xers. Yes. It is a gen, It is. It is. I'm going to argue. It is the first Gen X zombie film.
1: Okay, I don't need to read the last because, sentence of the paragraph. Okay.
0: Well, there you go. <laughs> but
1: go for it, man. Like you're already well, well, Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, cuz like, you know, I mean the the first the first big um, uh, explosion of of our generational identity on the screen was Reality Byte, mm-hmm. which is which is, you know, centered around the experiences of a bunch of Gen Xers who've, you know, graduated from college and like, well, what the fuck are we going to do? Right. You know, grad, graduating into a world that like you're overeducated to get a real job in.
1: Yeah,
0: <clears throat> I mean to way oversimplify. And then, um, you know, beyond uh, reality bites, then who who are two of our biggest, uh, you know, pop culture kind of kind of avatars for our generation are Jay and fucking Silent
1: Bob. Oh, I was gonna go with right? Brad Brad Pitt and Ed Norton from Fight Club.
0: Okay. Well, yes, but them okay, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd but argue, you're right. I'd
1: argue,
0: I'd argue they're kind of the yin yang.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, the, the duos are kind of, <laughs> you know, because because what are what are you know uh, Pitt and uh, Norton, but the um, dark side? I don't know if dark side is the right word, but the but the the angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, counterpart to Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, really. You've yeah. got one loud, obnoxious one, and one kind of retiring introvert.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and like our defining characteristic as a as a generation has been meh. Yeah, you know. And so and so we have we have Simon Pegg and Nick Frost as this pair of you know Gen Xers mm-hmm. with a like okay you know, I really don't care about getting ahead in the world. I'm not that ambitious because, like, if I set my sights too high, I'm just going to be disappointed. All I want to do is be able to go to the pub and play video games with my friends. Like, yeah.
1: the fuck? Well, and also... But, you know, oh, go on. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, also, he never really shoves his concerns aside during the apocalypse. They, he carries them with him. So, it's... <laughs> It's a bit of a chance to have other people relate to the fact that their problems, no matter how trivial, uh, don't stop just because the United States went completely apeshit and invaded a second country in a thoroughly unconnected war uh, with the war on terrorism.
0: And in that way, it's a very British Gen X
1: film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I also think that it's a very Gen X film in that uh, Gen X... um, You know, we we were the we were the uh, our our generation were the ones that were like looking around, going, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like the boomers (laughs) were like in full power, and X is just like, "Oh, for God's sake!" Like,
0: yeah, and 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 we knew, yeah. I think I think without without ever like ever verbalizing it, Mm -hmm. we knew that we just didn't have. There, there wasn't really very much we could fucking do, first off, because we were kids. Right. And then by the time we weren't kids anymore, um, we're outnumbered by the generation who came before us. Yes. Like, there just weren't enough of us. Yeah. You know, so, like, what the fuck do you do in that situation? Oh, right?
1: absolutely. You develop a
0: really unhealthy, dark sense of humor... Yeah. And 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 you have any number of not so great coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. like, you know, and and then you know, and then we got sandwiched between you know the boomers and then the millennials who came after us, mm-hmm. and and, yeah, and now we're we're and now I I think anyway I'm I'm arrogating here to myself you know the attitude of an entire generation, now I'm looking at the zoomers going like y'all are badasses you you go yeah like
1: you
0: know we 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 were not able to do this we did not we did not have the the gumption or the get to well
1: you, we lacked the vocabulary but we had the attitude and then the yes, millennials gained the vocabulary and had the attitude and yeah. z um yeah they're z, z
0: is just out of fucks to give yeah yeah like, like we're out of fucks to give too, but it's a very different kind of out of fucks to give.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Like our out of fucks to give is meh. Their out of fucks to give is oh yeah, no fuck
1: this. Yeah, we reject your paradigm.
0: We, re- we <laughs> we're, totally we're reject. We're we're
1: creating reality. Family. We don't care uh, yeah. if it's on your corpse or not.
0: Yeah, I reject your reality yeah. and substitute my own. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: So, so Shaun of the Dead was also a satire in a very different vein than Romero's Night of the Living Dead was a satire. <clears throat> Romero's satirizing sat, uh, society through a zombie film. Shaun of the yeah. Dead is satirizing the entire zombie movie genre and all that it was indicating. Um, the undead and all the existential crises that came with them basically served to interrupt the idiocy of these two fellows as they bumbled through a new day. Um, you know, and I, I think there's something to be said there. That's It's it's a bit meta, it's a bit pomo, but um, oh, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, it is a... Okay, satirizing a shitty reality hasn't gotten us anywhere, so I'm going to make fun of the satirizing now. Yeah. So, now I
0: think that's I think that's a good good analysis. Yeah.
1: Now, all told in 2004, I counted no fewer than 21 zombie movies. Many were independent interestingly enough. To me that echoes what Romero did in 68, but the difference was that all of these are answering to the zombie craze that was exploding. And when Romero had made his film, there was no such thing. And yes. I'm going I'm to end this episode talking about Romero's dip back into the zombie film genre. Okay. Um, he made Land of the Dead in 2005. It's a, con- right. yeah, it's a continuation of the rest of his films, showing us what happens next. The film is based in Pittsburgh now. Uh, although there, that's just one town with a similar story. The undead rule the earth with a few hamlets here and there of human re-emergence. Pittsburgh oh, yeah. is fairly feudal and naturally protected by a few natural defenses. There's something called the Golden Triangle, uh, which is a spot in Pittsburgh that's flanked on two sides by a river, and they've set up an electric barricade on the third. Uh, the Golden Triangle is where the French fort uh, called Fort Duquenez... Duquesne? Duchesne. Jesus. Duchesne. Oh, yeah, of course.
0: I know, I know. We've talked about this before. The French don't know how to fucking spell anything. Oh, my God. But it's Duchesne.
1: Okay. Yeah, Fort Duchesne. (laughs) And that was taken over by the British during the French and Indian War, but not before the (laughs) French destroyed the fort themselves. Uh, Currently, it's basically akin to the financial district in San Francisco. Um, yeah. So it's a somewhat scathing geographical choice, given that Romero's satire is on consumer culture, as well as the feudal system that arose in Pittsburgh in this movie's history. Now, uh, there is a high rise where the rich and powerful live. It's much easier defended from zombies and such, obviously. The majority of people live in the squalor below. And there's one man who rules it all, though. His name is Paul Kaufman. He's played, of course, by Dennis Hopper.
0: Because who else would he be played by? Right.
1: He's a venal... Unless it's
0: Michael Ironsides. <laughs> might be able to get...
1: <laughs> that would be Ironsides. his lieutenant. That would be his lieutenant. That's a good point. He That's never plays point. the Ironside. guy in charge. That's true. That's even true. in V. Um, he's a venal and ruthless plutocrat who lives at the top of a high rise that is preceded by a huge mall. Yes. The zombies are strangely more intelligent now, too. Many have retained the knowledge of their former lives, somewhat aping going through the motions of their prior lives. In the beginning of the film, we see two zombies who are teenagers holding hands. Uh, We see a zombie who's at a gas station who appears to be tending to his post there, and his name tag says Big Daddy on it. The people that we follow through this movie are folks who've acclimated to the zombie reality. They're not scientists who are trying to study it. They're not trying to reverse it. They're folks trying to carve out a new existence. It's a fairly diverse cast overall. It's Romero. There's one zombie who seems more intelligent than the rest, who seems to have an intention to him besides hunger. It's Big Daddy. Um, he tries to shake the other zombies out of their confusion at, at fireworks. Uh, there's this defense mechanism where you just fire off a bunch of fireworks and zombies are "Huh, what? And then they ignore you. Um, he tries to shake them out. He expresses rage when he sees uh, another zombie suffering. And he becomes a bit of a leader after he grabs a machine gun off the enormous bus tank train mobile weapons platform. Uh, He doesn't know how to use the gun, but other zombies start following him. And meanwhile, because it's Romero, we get to see what Pittsburgh has become. And it's a tale of two cities. One is the high class and exclusive. And the other looks like a rundown version of Venusville from Total Recall. And it's called Chihuahuas. (laughs) nice it's run by a little person of the same name Chihuahua and there's even a fun little moment where Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright from Shaun of the Dead are zombies in a booth where you can take your picture with a zombie
0: that's meta upon meta
1: yeah now Romero offered them a role and they said only if we could play zombies nice yeah
0: because of course why not it's them yeah so yeah That, that, that would be their requirement yeah yeah.
1: Now, what's interesting about this society is that even though there's so much that's broken down, there's still an emphasis on money and the power of that money to hurt people. There's a prostitute who's angered Kaufman, and she gets sentenced to be in a bear baiting cage with two zombies, for instance. Um, jail still exists, and there's enough money uh, that exists for folks to be scrounging to try to save it. Uh, There's a lot of human-on-human shiftiness that seems fairly central to the plot, but also Big Daddy is slowly... I mean, really, the movie is about Big Daddy slowly realizing things. He's slowly realizing how awful the people of Pittsburgh are to his fellow zombies, and he aims to take them all down. And eventually, as the humans are being awful to each other for the sake of money, Big Daddy is leading a zombie insurrection, which... It's a hell of an evolution. Um, he's also. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's he, a paradigm shift.
1: Yeah. He's also. Le- oh, good point. Good call. He's also learned how to use a gun and he's teaching other zombies. Uh, and after much effort, Big Daddy breaks into the mall with his zombie horde and they tear up the upper class Kaufman B- Pittsburgh. Um, they chase after Kaufman who then gets into his car. But Kaufman man, Kaufman has a manservant who ends up fleeing with the car keys it uh, turns out money doesn't buy you everything big daddy sees a fuel nozzle and he uses his memories of being a human to soak the car with gasoline before leaving Big daddy ends up finding a prote- propane tank setting it on fire and throwing it at the car exploding Kaufman Oh, wow. Meanwhile, our protagonists are escaping the huge thing <clears throat> the huge tank thing right The the, yeah. the tank train bus dead reckoning Yes uh, and they head to Canada for relative safety and isolation. Uh, one of them takes aim at Big Daddy, who's leading the zombies out of uh, what was Pittsburgh, but he decides not to shoot him because Big Daddy, after all, is doing the exact thing, sa- exact same thing he's trying to do. Just find a place for his people to live. Hmm. Now, this one is wildly different than the other ones that Romero had done. Romero's other movies were isolated stories of people barely keeping it together and just trying to survive. In this one, some of them have found a way to thrive and typically off the misery of others. Zombies are far less a threat than human cruelty. And at the same time, the zombies are more intelligent and capable than they've ever been. It's not just mobs and hordes and swarms. It's now strike forces and invasions. And now to the analysis. Actually, you know what? Given the timing, I think we're going to hold off on the analysis, which... Sorry, listeners, uh, <laughs> we're splitting a Romero movie in two here, um, <clears throat> yeah. but it uh, is better to to actually get into it in, in depth next next week. So um, I'm going to stop it there. Uh, All right. So uh, do we want to just jump out and then uh, and then give people something to wait for? Or do you want to talk about what you've gleaned a little?
0: Um, I think I want to, I want to glean a little bit.
1: Um, away. I think,
0: I think, I think it's interesting that we have moved so profoundly
1: Mm -hmm.
0: from like 110%. No, no, this is horror,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which has one specific set of goals as a genre. Mm -hmm. And we have moved from that to a lot of these being like horror flavored action films.
1: Mhm. That's it's exactly not, right. Yeah.
0: It's it's not about it it isn't about fear anymore as much as it's about mm-hmm. a conflict and survival and the the what what are the forces that are that are in conflict. Mhm. If that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. know the the the, the the big idea behind it has shifted really dramatically. and I, I think beyond that, I want to, you know, do the in-depth analysis in the next episode. but it's 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 remarkable to me what a major paradigm shift we're seeing, yes, over the course of this time. And I think I think it got started by the Resident Evil movies. Mm-hmm. without the resident evil movies understanding what they were doing to the genre.
1: I agree completely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, uh, what, what you're really describing there and, and I got nothing against action films, nothing against them, but the shift goes from thinky movies to something else to spectacle. Yeah. Ctharsis, you know, maybe, eh, I wouldn't even go that far. Um okay. I think I think the shift goes from intelligent satire to mindless yeah. entertainment. Okay. And that again, makes sense, I that got no sad. problem with mindless entertainment. I really don't. No. But no. I do think it's interesting at the same time that we had a sitting president telling us don't worry about it. Go and consume. consume. Like literally don't think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and procreate. Yeah, we we all seem to kind of listened. Um, Yeah, and it's showing in our zombie films.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that yeah
1: that works. Yeah, cool. Reading anything? Um, student work.
0: Sorry. God help me. Yeah. 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 How about you?
1: Uh, I'm just kind of plowing through the plays that we bought uh for our school. So I've been reading Twilight. Um, a lot of really good monologues, um, okay. really, really good stuff there. Uh, I hate how prescient it continues to be. It's, it's about the Rodney King, uh, riots mm-hmm. in LA and, uh, you know, reading, reading what the, the cops are saying. It's, it's, there's not that much different. No. So sadly. Yeah. No. Yeah. So that's what I'm reading. Um, yeah, that's I guess I, I don't I don't know that I even recommend it to be honest. Um, let me read it for you. Uh, because it's a lot of monologue stylized and that's not gonna be everybody's cup of tea. So there I think there are probably that better sense. research books out there for it. So All right. Cool. Well, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh,
0: I can be found on social media at EH Blaylock on Twitter and at uh, also EH Blaylock on uh tiktok and mr blaylock on instagram how about you
1: uh you could find me at duh harmony on insta and twitter Uh, those are two good places to find me um and then yeah every tuesday night um i am on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns uh delivering just wonderful wonderful puns so
0: isn't that a contradiction
1: in terms no i think twitch and tv um go together pretty well so Nicely nicely done. Thank you. Okay. Where can they find us collectively? Collectively,
0: we can be found at Geek History Time on Twitter. And uh, Geek History, www.geekhistoryoftime. Or is it just Geek History Time? I can't ever remember. because History don't a of Time. To Geek History of Time
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, on, on the World Wide Web. I like it. So those those are our all- places you need to shout at us uh, about having gotten something wrong or uh, believing that we got something wrong in our interpretation, which, you know, screw you, you're wrong, um, unless you're not, uh, that that would probably be best done at Twitter. Um, And otherwise, you can find the podcast itself, Mm -hmm. us here, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Mm -hmm. and on Spotify. And uh, wherever you get us, uh, please hit the subscribe button. Please review us. Give us the five stars that you know we deserve. And that's about it for me.
1: That's plenty for us. All right. Cool. Well, for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damian Harmony.
0: And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, they're coming for you.